You know, it really was a, a startling statement that kind of caught me off guard. Uh, talking about an experience I had back in 2011 when I was in Rwanda for the first time to do teaching. We were teaching out in a little village called Masaka, just outside of the capital, Kigali, and we were living in the capital and, and commuting out there, and the pastors we were teaching were staying there in the church building, and, you know, at the end of every teaching day, you know, I was tired, I was hot, I was ready to go home, that kind of stuff, but, but there was always a lot of the logistics. So this particular day, I, I walked home with our translator. He lived there in the village. His name was Alan, and he lived there in a the little village in Masaka. So I, you know, they, they were organizing this and that, and when the food was going, all that kind of stuff. And I just said, I'm going with him. Just come find me on your way out of the village, right? And so I walked home with him, and I got a chance to meet his family. He's married, and he had five or six kids. They, they lived in a home of about 300, 350 square feet, just four small rooms, dirt floors, and, and, you know, this was the guy in the village who could speak English and, and was uh, the pastor of a church down the street. And um, so I got a chance to meet his kids and to meet him and that kind of thing. And still no, no car to home. So he started, he was ready to head down the hill to get the water for the nights and mornings activities. So every, every night they go down to the well and they get water. And then every morning when it's all gone, sometime during the morning they go and they get more so he was ready to go. So I said, you know, I'll just go with you. They'll find me, right? They're not going to go back without me. At least I didn't think they were. So anyways, they, in which they didn't. So he grabbed these two five-gallon um, jugs. They, they really look, some of you are old like me and used to watch MASH, right? You know, you know the old metal gas cans they had, you know, with the triple. Well, they, that's what they look like, but they were made out of plastic and they were yellow. And there's millions of those in Rwanda. And there's got to be like... A billion of them across Africa, you know. So he's carrying these two things. I got my backpack, and I said, we're headed down. And so I, I started telling him, I said, you know, if you were in America, you wouldn't have to go to the well to get water. Now, we were going down a steep hill, right? I'm thinking, when he gets these filled, he's going to have to carry these all the way back up the hill, right? And we're starting, as we get down there, and I can see out in the distance, and, and there's already a line of like 35 sets, Right? So everybody goes down there at the same time to get water, and they just put their two cans down together, and it just creates this long line. So when you get there, you, you may have to stay 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour before you get your water, right? And so I said, you know, if you lived in America, like, say, so think about my house. I said, I can, I can be in my kitchen. We actually cook our food inside the house, not outside. And I said, and, and we have a faucet over our sink where you can get water. Or you can go to the refrigerator and put a cup up against it and water comes out. I said, then we have a bathroom that has not only a sink, but then we have a faucet in our bathtub and then we have a shower head. And then we have another one of those downstairs and then there's another small sink in the laundry area and then we have two faucets on the outside of the house. I said, so you could get water lots of places without having to walk anywhere. And, and the reaction that I expected from Alan was pretty much the reaction we got to most of our stories that we told him about America. You know, you tell the pastors about various things from how much snow we got to how big our stores were, and they were just in awe, right? Because most of their stores are about this size. What you do is you rent a tabletop about the size of our communion table, and that was your store. You put your tomatoes out, your, your secondhand shoes, or you put out whatever you're selling, and that's what you had in the market. And we start talking to them about a super Walmart, and they're like, what? You know, and they were just in awe. But Alan wasn't in awe at all. He, he actually looked at me, and, and, and he didn't really know what to say, and he was, he was really more bewildered than anything. And then I was stunned by his statement. Because it really got me thinking. He said, he looked at me and he said, 
How do you get to know your neighbors if you don't get water with them? And, you know, I thought for a moment, and eventually I just said, we really don't know our neighbors. In America, we don't really know our neighbors. You know, some of you may be really great because you you live the long part, whatever, but, you know, most of us, when we think about the people who live live around us within a five-minute walk in any direction, how many of those do we really know? You know, I, we, I got to think about it. We probably know about a third of the people, but most of those people, it's, we, we kind of know them by name, and we know what house they live in, what they look like, but it's not like we really know them. You know, I mean, and, and we, we just really don't know our neighbors. And, and a lot of that feeling and, and struggle with that is, is kind of un, under what undergirds the series we're going to begin today, because not only do a lot of us not know our neighbors, we don't really want to know our neighbors, right? I mean, it's, it's, we live in one of these sad days today when we really don't want to be all that connected with the people who are right around us, right? And some of it is, 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 is a little bit more of a bland rationale, if you will, in the sense that it's, you know what, I'm just really busy, I got a lot of work to do with things, and I got stuff with families, and, this, and, and I don't really have the time, I don't have the bandwidth to really know a lot of people. So, you know what, I'll just swipe through Facebook at the end of every day, learn a little bit about what some people did, and I'll be done. That's enough, right? And, and that's, that's the more kind of bland kind of resistance we have. But some of us, are, are, we, we, because of our experience and a lot of other things, we're, we, we're much more aggressive, if you will, in our rationale that we don't, we don't really want to know people. Because part of what sticks in our mind is, you know what? People have problems. And if I know people, I'm going to know people's problems. I don't want to know people's problems. Right? I mean, we, we have a little bit of that attitude, right? You know, I mean, occasionally, there have been a few times in my journey, here, even here at Hope Chapel these last 15 years, where people have said to me, you know, I, I, don't, I just want to come, I just want to sit, I just want to go. Because I've been a member before in a church, and then when trouble happens, you, you know, it, it just hurts and problems, and, and, and I don't want any problems. I don't really want to know anybody. We had dinner one time, Christina and I, in the very early days, this couple that was thinking about getting engaged with our church. They, they lived in a different town, and so it was going to be a little bit of a journey for the community. And basically what they communicated over dinner was, we want to know you and Christina, but we really don't want to know anybody else. And, and, what, and they went on and said, because other people have problems. And I don't want to know people who have problems, so we just really want to know you. And they weren't so thrilled with my response, so they never came back again. So, you know, and, and, and that kind of thing. But we struggle with this idea, you know, and it's, and, and unfortunately, there's some of that experience for us, right? I mean, we've been in relationships where we got really hurt. We know of people who have been abused. You know, we, we know where, places where there's been just just fundamental letdowns in the lives of people. And so we, we think we have this justification to say, you know what, I'm going to keep everybody else at arm's length as best I can, except for the few that I think I can trust to this inner circle. And we just have this mentality of, I just kind of want to be left alone. Just, just, you know, don't call me, I'll call you. You know, that's, that's kind of our mentality for relationships, right? Don't call me, I'll call you, you know, kind of idea. And, and, I, I am just so struck 
and how, how contrary that is to what God's plan is for us. God has designed relationships to be something that pour blessing into our life, not pain. God, God has designed our relationships so that when we weep, there are people to weep with us. And that when we rejoice, that there are people there to rejoice with us. You know, God has designed our lives to be better with the more people we have in them. And, and so that's a lot of, our, our, of the emphasis that we're really going to have over these next few weeks is, is how is it that you and I can embrace relationships such that we really do experience the love, the joy, the hope, the strength, the encouragement, the blessing that God wants to pour into our lives through other people. And, and I have a theme verse for this, for this series, and I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn with me. If you're watching online, you're just going to have to find your own, and you can swipe it through, a, through your phone or, or through a, a tab you might be using. But if you're here in, in, in our campus, and you can, you're going to find our text today, on page 966, 966, out of our pew Bible, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be just, just, I just want to look at verse 18. Actually, I have a challenge for you. Not not only do we have some um, daily devotionals for you to be able to work through, just passages of scripture to read throughout the course of the week that will support what we're talking about, we'll looking to expand the conversation that God is having with us about how to have great relationships and how to be somebody who offers great relationships to other people. Um, and, and you'll be processing this. If, if most of your life groups will be devoting some, if not all, of their time to talking about this. But, but I'm going to be using Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18, kind of as a hub, right? We're really going to be looking at the relationship principles of Jesus, some of the things that he taught about relationships so that we can figure out how to be the kind of people who cultivate and offer great relationships in our own lives. And, and, and to me, that's so strategic to what God wants to do kingdom-wise through the church. But we're, we're, we're going to use Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18 as, a, as kind of a hub, you know, because relationships are kind of non-linear, right? You know, it's not like they just kind of start here and they just kind of go, they kind of have a tendency to kind of go, Right, you know, all over, and so my sermons are going to kind of go all over. Right, I wonder what that looks like on Facebook Live. I'm scared to think about that. Anyways, but you know, um, but we're going to use this passage because it, it 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 really Paul just pulls a lot of the 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 ethical teaching that Jesus has about great relationships together in these verses. And in fact, I'm going to challenge you to join me in memorizing Romans 12 9 through 18. We'll just do a verse a week, just keep adding on to it, and by the time we get done, we'll have it all done. But, but our theme verse is Romans chapter 12, verse 18. That was a long introduction to Romans 12, verses 18, verse 18. Just listen to this one, one passage. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Say that out loud with me. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. I love this passage for a number of reasons, this short little phrase. And if you're too chicken to try to memorize 9 through 18, just memorize verse 18. First of all, I I love the fact that God's objective for our relationships is peace. 
Now, we usually think about that as, as the absence of conflict, right? Some of you are parents and you've got kids at home and you're thinking, I just want to have one day where there's no fights, right? You know, God, just give us one day where they're all so sick that they just can't even get out of bed and fight with one another, right? You know, sometimes that's the way we think about it. That's, that's not what God means. When, when God uses the word shalom, when he uses the word peace, he's talking about the presence of everything that can lead to its flourishing. It's everything that you need to be healthy and thriving. So he says, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace. Have great relationships with other people. That's God's desire for us. I also love it that it's honest enough to say that doesn't always work out. That's what that little phrase, if possible, means, right? Sometimes relationships aren't all that great. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's the fault of other people, but at the end of the day, a relationship is a two-way street, right? It takes two to tango. I'm not going to try to dance for you, right? But, but it takes two to dance together. You can't do it by yourself, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. In fact, Jesus kind of told us, he said, you know what? If you follow me, some people aren't going to like you. Some people aren't going to like you because of who you are, what you believe, what you do. They're just not going to like you. And, you know, the world hated me. It's going to hate you, too. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. So it's this idea of if possible. So, so I love the fact that it's honest to say that our relationships can be a struggle for us. But the, the, the third piece that I really love is it gives us real direction. You know, you might not realize this, but the common denominator in all of your relationships is you. Smack dab in the middle of your relationships is Y-O-U, you, or in my case, me, right? And we are the, so if our relationships are marked, they're more characterized by tension and by stress and by, by frustration, etc. If, if that's kind of the, the tone of our relationships, there's a lot for us to work on. And if our relationships are marked by kind of a joy and encouragement, et cetera, and there's a lot of blessing, and, and they're good. They're just good relationships. A lot of us say, you know what? I got something to really build on here. Because God gives us a focus, says the only part of the relationship network that you can affect directly is yourself. So as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. And what we want to look at is what are some of the truths that we need to understand, some of the truths that we need to incarnate so that we can actually fulfill this verse, right? We want to be in a place where we recognize that, that, that we are in a position to answer Jesus' question about how in the world do we get to a place where if it depends upon us, we really can be at the peace with all men. But, but I, I feel this burden today to start at a very fundamental, foundational level. I, I don't know how you feel, and, and some of you are a little older than me, some of you are a lot younger than me, and that kind of thing, but I, I, the tone of our culture is far more divisive than it's ever been. I mean, I, I'm not saying we haven't had huge problems before. You know, you have the civil rights movement and all those kinds of things where there's a lot of tension and segregation and marches and violence and et cetera. We, we've seen some of that before. But just, to, just to, to live in a time where we look for what divides us, and that's what we try to concentrate on. I, I don't know if I've ever experienced that before. 
And, and I'm not saying that there aren't problems we need to address. I, I, I believe that there really are. You know, there's many ways that as a community, as a culture, as a nation, we can be doing things better. But, but part of that is that, it, that we coil because we live in this world. So say, you know what? I just, you know, I, I got the few people I know. Besides that, just leave me alone. Because the only thing that waits out there for me is conflict and pain and et cetera. And we want to back up and just say, you know what, it's, let's just get inside the moat, right? You know, let's just, let's just get that, surround, that, that fence up and, and we'll be good. And I don't, I don't believe that's what God calls us to. So here's what I want to try to convince you of this morning. God has designed you and I to have a plethora of great relationships in our lives. That's God's intent for us. Not not just a couple, three, but God has designed us to have great relationships as a part of our lives. And he is ready to equip us to have those great relationships. That's what God's plan is for us. And, and I want to start simply with the fact that I want to confront the notion that great relationships just don't, they're just not really available anymore, right? You know, I, I got a few people I'm close to, my, my family, my kids, this and that, and that's it, you know? I, I don't believe that God wants us to settle for that. I think it's anathema for the kingdom. So I want to convince you of the fact that God really has designed us to be, our lives to be marked by great relationships. And I'm going to run you around the Bible just a little bit. I'm going to try not to do this any more than I need to in our series, but I want to start at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, which is page 1 in your Bible, right? So Genesis chapter 1, you know, let me remind you that the Bible is like every other book, at least the Bibles that we're using. They, there are there are um, uh, indexes in the front that will tell you what books are on what page, and you can always find stuff just by looking it up in the, in the index at the beginning. But I, I want you to see, it. my first point is that you, when God created us, he created us for great relationships. When God created us, he created us for great relationships. Just listen to the tone. Of Genesis 1 and 2. I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1 to you, but, but you know, God is, Genesis 1 works through the, the six days of creation and then the one day of resting at the end, the Sabbath. And, and God starts out and he, he says, you know what, first of all, let's separate light from darkness. Let's, let's separate night from day. And, 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 and that's what God does. And that's the end of the first day. And, and God says, man, that's good. It's good. Give that one a gold star. It's good. Then day two rolls around. And God says, you know what? Let's separate the land from the sea. Actually, a little more than it says, you know what? Let's separate the waters from the, that are above. That's the clouds. And the water that's down below. Let's create the expanse in between. He refers to that as the heavens. And then he says, let's divide the, the land from the sea. So the waters are kind of gathered into the seas and the land's left. And God looks at it and says, good. It's good. Another gold star. Right, and he continues with that. The next day, he creates plant life. You know, all of, all of the flowers and the fruit trees and the trees and the grasses. God creates all. Says, Man, it's good. Another gold star. Right. Th- fourth day, God creates the lights that govern the day and the night, the sun, the moon, the stars. God looks at it, says, "Good. That's good." 
man, we're, we're on a roll. We're doing great, right? And then he keeps going. Then he creates all the animals and, that fly and all the animals that swim. And, and he says it's good. Then he creates all the land animals that crawl on the ground. And he says it's good. And he backs up at the end of the week and says, man, this is very good. And then you get over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And God says, eh, not good. Not good. You got good, 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 very good, not good. That gets a red check mark, got to get sent home. We got to do that homework over again, right? What is it? It says, not good that man's alone. And so God finishes creation, He creates community, He created us for relationships. He created us for good relationships. Now, I know that the fall makes that harder, right? You get to Genesis 3, and there's a breakdown in relationships because of man's disobedience with God, and there's dynamics entered into the relationship between the man and the woman, and with that, all relationships have flow from that, and, and that was God's intention. It wasn't just, it's not just that man's, you know, it's not good that man's alone and, and, he, and he needs a wife or, or a wife needs a husband, but he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And so he intends there to be families and then communities and then villages and then nations and etc. cetera. He, he plans all of that to happen. He wants there to be relationships. And obviously the fall makes it harder because then you have frustration and you have depression and you have anger and hurt and all those kinds of things. And God gives us all these resources to deal with that, you know, forgiveness and mercy and love and hope and patience and all that kind of stuff. But, but God wants it. He's designed it. What he finished creation, he finished it by making community, by making relationships. And, and I tell you what, if you're settling for anything less than having a life that's full of great relationships, you're settling for less than what God's designed you for. And I hope this series will impact you and me. But, you know, it's more than just that. It's not only has God created us for great relationships, God has redeemed us for great relationships. Now, let that think, sink in for a minute. Not only did God create us for great relationships, I mean, when, when it, you go back to the drawing table, when he laid out the specs, the engineering specs to build humanity, he, he designed it in his image. And part of that is he's designed us to live in relationships with other people. may look different for introverts than it does for introvert, extroverts, but it's still relationship. God's called us for great relationships. And I got to tell you, when God reaches down and enters into the human history in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who leaves lives a perfect life, dies on a cross, is resurrected. And when you and I place our faith in him, we become new creatures in Christ, new people. Those new people are designed to have lots of great relationships. Let me, let me get, just give you a simple verse. So we're going to go to the other end of the Bible now. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you're, if you're going back and forth, I'm going to give you a page number for here in, in, our, um, in our pew Bible. But if you're using your own, get to Revelation, just work your way back a little bit. And, 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 and I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. This is page 1028 in your pew Bible. And, and there's lots of places where you can make the same point, but this one has always just struck me so firmly. Peter's writing to them, and, and, and in verse 22, this is what he says, By obedience to the truth. 
Do you know what that means? He's referring to the moment in your life, in my life, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and accepted the truth of the gospel. So when you obeyed the truth, when you became a follower of Christ by asking for Christ's forgiveness and inviting Christ into your life, and now you are, you've been made into a new creature who follows after Christ, he said, in that moment, it's purified you for a sincere love of the brethren. God reached straight in and re-engineered and changed the specs on the inside of our hearts and said, now I have placed within you a passion to be connected with other people. I've given you the capacity, the ability, the desire to live in relationship. So he says, you know what? Go ahead and just love one another from a pure heart. God has re-engineered us in Christ to have great relationships. You know, and, and we, 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 we sometimes, ah, you know, that's not something I really need or whatever. I've been hurt before. I don't want to do that again. I mean, it's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, you know what? He says that the body has many parts, but, it, but it's just one body. And there's no part of the body that can say, I don't need the rest of you. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, <laughs> right? The foot can't say to the, to the head, I don't need you, or vice versa. I can't do that. We need it. That's the way God has designed us. And yet somehow or another, we live in a time where we've let the evil one can convince us that we're too busy and it's too hard to have a lot of great relationships with other believers, and so we just recoil. Isn't, isn't it amazing? Right? I'm going to meddle just a little bit, all right? So be patient. Isn't it amazing that here God has purified our hearts for a love of the brethren, and one of the biggest barriers that stands between us and the people that we are supposed to love and we're called to love and we're drawn to love is that, well, I don't know their name and I'm embarrassed to ask them, so I'm just not going to make contact with them. It happens all the time. Right? It, 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 isn't that amazing? Right? You know, I, 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 you know, if you ever come across somebody who says, you know what, I, I get what I need from my journey. With I just, I just get it from television. I just listen to this guy or I listen to that guy or whatever. <laughs> I just get this service. And I don't really, they don't understand anything of what it means to be a part of the family of God. If, if you know if somebody says, you know what, I've been there, I've heard it all before, I don't really need to go. You, you don't, you, they don't get anything about what it means to be a person who worships God. Because it starts with the worship of God, and then, it, then it's about other people. Worship is about other people. It's about, you know, don't neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but meet together all the more to encourage one another. The last person who's really of value in worship is you. But we want to elevate it. Worship's about me, and I just get what I get about God, and you know what, I hope the person down the end of the pew is getting the same. And that's all my response. That's not the way it works. God has re-engineered us to have this love. And most of us, one of the reasons why we struggle spiritually is because we just don't have enough connections with other believers. You can't do it alone because that's not the way God has made you. And if you're trying to say, I don't really need the body, you're not in a good place. And so we're going to talk through this journey about how to have great relationships. We're going to look at the relationship principles of Jesus about how to have great relationships. But I have a challenge for you today based upon the things that God's been showing us. You know, we, we, we've started at, at, at really just a, 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 an incredibly 
fundamental level. I mean, it's like if we went into an advanced math class at, you know, at, in, 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 in the university and they started out with say, okay, today we're going to prove that two plus two equals four. I mean, I, I mean, I know that's kind of where we've been at, but you know what? That, this is something we need to be reminded of. And, and here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. And, and, and I'm using the life of the Apostle Paul as an illustration here. We're going to take a look at, at just a couple of verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you want to turn there, that'd be great. It's page 1004. Uh, it's the, last, it's the, 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 the two letters that Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica are the last letters that we have in the, in the New Testament before, he starts, before they contain all their individual letters that went out to Timothy and Philemon and other guys. And, 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 and he's talking to them about his relationship with them. And, and now, listen, remember Paul, right? Paul was a guy who, at the beginning, he, he wanted to destroy the church and anybody who liked the church. He was a killer on the loose, and he thought he was doing a righteous mission from God until he met Jesus. And then God purified his heart for a pure love of the brethren. That didn't always bring good stuff. Paul was beaten, stoned, etc. He had the churches turn on him. He had, he had all kinds of reasons to say, I've done relationships, I'm done. I'm backing up, right? Let, let me out of here, right? He never did it. This is how Paul describes his connection to the church. Look at just verses 7 and 8 with me. And again, we're, we're looking between the lines as he waits. He's writing to them to kind of describe his relationship with them, and we're just pulling that out for ourselves. Although we could have been a burden to you as Christ's apostles, Instead, we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. A little later down, he talks about in verse 11, as, we, as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Despite everything that had happened to Paul, he never stopped admitting that he needed other people in his life. And part of my challenge to you today, part of my challenge to me is that is to say, I need people in my life. Just admit and accept and embrace your need for others. It's the way you were made. It's the way you've been engineered in Christ to perform. Admit that you need other people. Get into relationship. Commit to more relationships. And the list could just go on and on. Second truth I want you to pull up from this. Not only do you admit, not only am I challenging you to admit your need for others, but look at verse 8. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2, We cared so much for you that we were pleased. We took delight. We really enjoyed sharing with you not only the gospel, but we share with you our lives. And as a result of that, you became dear to us. And, and, and part of my challenge to you today is not only to accept to say, you know what, I need other believers in my life. I need other people in my life. I need more people in my life. But on top of that, to be committed to having deep relationships with other people. Relationships where you really give yourself and they give, yourself, they give themselves back. You know, and, and, and that, that's my challenge to you. You know, that you and I can begin this journey of learning everything so that as much as it depends upon us, we can have great relationships with others. We've got to start with a point of saying, I need other people. 
And I'm going to let myself really get to know other people. And God intends to use that to bless us. And so that's my challenge to you today. That because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what that's done in our own hearts and lives, that we admit we need others and we really connect with other people deeply. Let's pray together for just a minute. I want you to take just a moment and think about somebody who's really been a blessing to you. They've been somebody who's encouraged you. They've supported you. They've been there for you in your moments of need. People with somebody who's taught you great wisdom, shown you how to walk with God. Just think about somebody who's really been a great blessing to you spiritually. God, we give you thanks for those people who have been a blessing to us. Make us those kinds of people in the lives of lots of others. For that's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.